Welcome to Holding the Fort Abroad, the podcast for expats with traveling partners. My name is Rhoda Bangeter, and I'm your host. I'm a speaker, author, researcher on the topic of families where one of the partners works away from home a lot. Today, my guest is Carol Hallett Mobs. She's an expat expert, and she's also the host of Expatability Chat podcast and the founder of expatchild.com. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I'm very much looking forward to hearing what you have to say from your personal experience, also from what you've seen in your coaching practice. So maybe as we start, could you share a little bit about your background, what you do as a coach, how you support expats? Of course, I'm not going to go into my background because we'd be here forever. Okay. Back in 2006, my husband had a his first ever overseas posting to Tokyo, Japan. Our daughter was five years old at the time. And of course, I said, absolutely, yes. And off we went. We ended up staying overseas for 12 years and collected various creatures on the way and moved back to the UK exactly five years ago. Wow. Five years ago on the 1st of February in 2018, we left South Africa in the middle of summer and arrived back in the UK in the middle of one of the coldest winters they've ever had. Right. Bit of a shocker. (laughs) That was a hard landing. I like soft landings. Thank you very much. So you've experienced repatriation. I have. I've done expat life at both sides from end to end and from 12 years overseas in three different countries. So that's Japan, Germany and South Africa. I was doing a personal blog in Japan. I used to be a writer, used to be a freelance writer, amongst so many other things. So we went to Japan and I was personal blogging and having fun and uh, social media had been invented and that was fun. And then on the 11th of March, 2011, the earthquake hit. And it was a month before we were due to leave Japan to go to Germany anyway, we were leaving anyway. So that time was spent almost 24 seven online, talking to the media, live blogging the earthquake, the after effects, the support efforts. So by the time we got to Germany, which was hugely traumatic, we were in a hell of a state. Mm. Um, Before we left Japan, before the earthquake hit, I'd been searching for ways to help my then 10-year-old daughter with a move. Because when you're moving with a five-year-old, it's really easy. But when you're moving with a 10-year-old who's then got friends and half her life has been spent in a different country, it becomes really, really difficult. And there was absolutely nothing online to support. It was either deal with it or get counselling for something that actually hadn't happened at that point. And then, of course, the earthquake made everything a million times worse. We arrived in Berlin and did our best to settle there. And I was burned out from writing. I was burned out from social media. I didn't want to deal with it anymore. And so I planned to write a book, which I think everyone plans to do at some point in their life. So I planned to write a book. But after a while, I missed the tech of doing a blog online. 
And before we moved to Tokyo, I was actually a publisher printing hard copy magazines. So I thought, okay, how about a magazine online that can share articles and information about moving overseas with children? And obviously the book didn't get written, but the website did. And that's how Expat Child was born. And that was in 2012. And that kind of took off and turned into supporting expat parents and partners with their move overseas. But also there's enough information on there for non-parents and non-partners and and everybody in between, whether they're moving for the first time, for the 10th time or moving back home. And so that became incredibly successful. But then COVID hit and we got back from South Africa. And I'd already started moving into helping people on a one-to-one basis while I was in South Africa, but the infrastructure there doesn't make that very easy because of the electricity and the internet. And of course, nobody was moving at all. So so I have various groups. I'm on most social medias and I have clients one-to-one that we just chat with informally. And I'll stop now because I do have a tendency to go on no, and on. No, that's on. fine. That's why I'm fascinated. So, um, <laughs> yes, and because also I've been listening to some of the episodes on your podcast and you don't interview people, right? You talk on a specific topic and that was quite interesting. That's right. I made that choice very early on because my podcast was basically a way of sharing expat child with a different audience. Oddly enough, I don't listen to podcasts because I don't absorb information through my ears. Mm-hmm. And tell me stuff and it will just completely fall out the other side without touching my brain or memory in the middle. But I did a survey and so many people wanted me to do a podcast. So I thought, okay, well, it's lockdown. I need something because husband was at home an awful lot. This was weird. So I needed a way of locking myself in my office and doing something different. So my podcast became my lockdown hobby. Of course, I get lots of um, people wanting to be interviewed on my show. And my plans will be to interview who I want to interview. I've got a couple of fantastic friends lined up and there is a specific reason for me wanting to interview them. And it's what's best for my show. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, that's what you do. I don't, I'm not just going to interview anybody. No. I'd like to go into detail about some of the requests I've had and their absolute desperation to try and spin it so that it's for expat parenting. And it's like, well, no. No, it's got to be curated, right? To the audience. I think it's got to be what your podcast is about. Yeah, and for my audience as well. Mm. So, Mm. although I do created podcast I don't listen to them so I feel a bit bit like I'm betraying everybody no no I don't think so I mean it depends on how we listen how we how we learn how we learn that's the word I was looking for yeah um so I reached out to you because I was curious I was like oh here's someone who's who's been an expat who's worked with expat who finds information for expats and I was curious to know whether in your practice or in your personal life, you'd experience the the fact that often, from what I've seen, when you become an expat, then one of the partners travels a lot. Or Mm. sometimes you become an expat and that person is even in another country 
or there's even choices of you know living living separately or the one of the partners going as an expat and the other one staying and whether it's their home country or not I just loved your response because this is something you've seen right oh absolutely yes and you're quite right too people don't talk about this enough I thought that I had an unusual attitude towards it but I think you have the same and which is go for it yeah exactly just be a strong person and cope yeah yeah I'm, and there sorry. Are ways, I'm sorry I understand no, no, there are ways that what what I what I say is there are ways to make it work and there are there are reasons why it's okay to choose this there are ways to make it work and you can make it work families are making this work all the time and exactly and I think I've heard I've said this a few times but I've you know I've had people who say to me there's something wrong with me because I'm struggling and I'm like no no it's not you it's it is a, a kind of a specific situation it's not something that we can't apply the same rules necessarily as maybe other families or what we're told but there are things that, that can make it work right so I love to hear you say go for it but and it does depend on the individual because everybody right. is so different and that's so true and certain times of your life, it will be easier than others. You know, when you've got older children, for example, but yeah, everybody is different. But knowing what you're signing up for in the first place is absolutely vital. Uh, think of military spaces, for example. You kind of know that you're going to be left holding the baby, literally. Yeah. And if that happens and you think that you can change your partner to leave their career, so that they can stay home, then I'm sorry, you're in the wrong relationship. That's such a good point, but it's true. And I think one of the things, I mean, the fact that they travel doesn't mean that they don't love you, right? It's exactly. Just, they love their job. They're good at it. They're passionate. It's their calling potentially. It's a lot of partners that I speak to who are supportive and who they say, I wouldn't take it away from my partner. That's who they are. That's what they love doing. And it doesn't mean the fact that they're away doesn't mean that they don't love me. And I think that's the trick to yes. understand that rather than say, oh, no, they don't love me because they, they don't want to be around. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if I give you my personal love story, I met my husband while I was on a contract job in Hong Kong. He literally popped up from behind a desk and that was it. And it took us a while to get together because we were both traveling opposite ways around the globe doing a sort of a, a similar job he was installing I was teaching people how to use the new system that's what I used to do I used to be an IT trainer so I was always sort of following him I was trailing even before we met <laughs> and, uh, and um but that was the job that he had been doing since he was pretty much 18 19 we met late in life. We met, I was 35, or well, he was 35 too, but we both had formed personalities, which I think is really, really important. Mm. If you're young and then your partner gets a different job than you were expecting or signing up for, that can be difficult. And I do understand that. So for the first year of our dating, if you like, we were very rarely on the same continent, let alone anywhere near the same country. And fast forward, I got pregnant, ended up having to stay at home because I wasn't too well. And he kept traveling, which was fine with my blessing. This was his job. Uh, so he was in China until very shortly before I went into labor, which was a bit of a close call because uh, uh, she was premature. And not long after she was born, 
I went house sitting for my parents while they went on holiday and he went to the Falkland Islands. So it was part of our life. But because I am a hugely independent person, it wasn't an issue. What does become an issue sometimes is when they come back home and they suddenly disrupt your well-planned routine. Yes. And while we lived overseas, he actually travelled less than he did when we were in the UK before we moved abroad for the first time. And there were still opportunities, but the business is changing constantly. Then lockdown, I mean, we moved back to the UK, he took a different sort of job, and he was at home all the time. <laughs> and lockdown happened, and oh my, oh my goodness me. It's a different scenario, isn't it? Suddenly oh. you're like, whoa, is this what it's like to have so this person? Seven. <laughs> Yeah. And he, you could tell that he was absolutely bored, stupid with the new job. Mm. And his life is traveling. Mm. So then he had the opportunity to go and do this, that and other sort of uh, cover, if you like, but long term cover. And off he went. So one of the tours that he did, we spoke about this, was in Kabul in Afghanistan. And unfortunately, he wasn't there for very long before it was taken and he got the very last plane out. It was uh, a bit rough. It wasn't a good week, that one. And then he went to Delhi for a while. And when I say for a while, I don't mean like a couple of weeks or a few days. I think it was about six months. Yeah. And currently he's in Panama. Yeah. Coming back next week for a couple of weeks before heading off again. So yeah. it's sort of roughly six weeks on and two weeks off for us which is a lot of travelling for him. It takes him two days to get back and to get to work. Yeah. Which was difficult last year because his mother died. Mm. And it took him two days to get back and he didn't make it in time. So Yeah, that's rough. I think yeah. that's that's the that's the hard, you know, the, the life carries carries on, emergencies happen, crises happen, grief, bereavement happen and, and while you're the traveling continues and there's chewing and froing and that that can be the added kind of yeah. element to this. And I, I did talk about that on a podcast episode because it mm. also happened roughly at the same time as Queen Elizabeth died. Mm. So that I was quite proud of that particular episode. Oh, and yeah. uh, so it's an interesting life and it can be done. But mm. what can cause problems is when you're not able to predict how you're going to react to this. So I've got a couple of anecdotes and any of my clients are entirely and completely protected. I never share anything that will be identifying. And let me just backtrack a moment. One of the questions you asked is this, is this experience increasing or decreasing? It's absolutely increasing. Corporates and companies are determined to save money and their ideal would be to send only one person on an overseas posting on an international assignment. That's pretty unfair to their families. And we're here saying, yeah, it's fine. You can cope. But in an ideal world, the companies would be supporting the families to move overseas with their partner to keep families together. Because I think that you and I, we're independent and we can cope for a lot of families. And if I go by ratios, 
this is damaging more families than are able to cope with it. So the company in this particular anecdote was only going to support the husband to move. They were going to install him in a one-bedroom flat. He had a wife and a baby. He went for the job. The company did tell him that if he wanted them to come over, he would have to pay for them and pay for their visas and pay for accommodation and pay for everything else that's involved. And he would also be working local culture hours, which is basically 7am till midnight. So it wouldn't have been a great situation for this wife and child. And he went for the job and lockdown happened. By the time she was able to get there, he'd left her, but hadn't bothered to tell her. So she was then stuck in a foreign country with the baby. Now that is entirely the husband's fault, but it was encouraged by the company. And that is quite an extreme example. But the fact that it happened shows me that it isn't unusual. Mm. Uh, You know, this is just one person that's reached out to me out of everybody. Mm. And I don't obviously speak to everybody in the whole world, Mm. but that was just one person. Mm. So it is happening. I have spoken to CEOs of some huge companies about their preferences for global mobility going forward. They just want to send one person on short term six-month contracts to save money. But what is the point? Six months doesn't give anybody the opportunity to settle into a job, to settle into a new country. But it does mean that the families are deliberately being excluded from these overseas assignments. Yeah. This is the topic of my master's that I'm doing right now. Because the traditional family packages Mm. are for the traditional expat family who moves abroad, but they have absolutely no consequence for what about if the family doesn't join the person mm. who's gone? What, oh, what level of support is given to the family? Paying international school fees is not going to help. No. So what, you know, and there are things that exist that I think there needs to be an innovation in the way that the companies support and offer packages for these families who are letting and, uh, you know, where one of the partners is is going and giving of their family time to the company. So I, I've got to frame it and I've got to narrow it down and I've got to figure out which angle I'm going to take it. But that's really my one of my big concerns is it, it should be the company's responsibility to support the whole family whether or not the family is joining and you know companies have told to me well you know we'll only go as far as it's legally our responsibility but you're like ouch you're gonna lose people that way one of the main reasons for an expat assignment failing is the lack of support network yeah it's so important to have a support network around you yeah and Maybe the company offers a bit of help. Frankly, in my experience, not a great deal. It's down to you to find your tribe, to find your support network, which sounds glib and it sounds easy. It really is not. Yeah. And it's much easier when your kids are little. 
you know, taking a five-year-old to school, for example, yeah, you get to meet the most wonderful people at the school. Or play groups, or play groups. You know, there's always kindergarten somewhere, or yeah, yeah, but only in some countries. Mm. In Germany, for example, the kids are expected to go off and do their own thing without parents hanging around. That's very true. Even yeah. birthday parties in some countries, you're supposed mm. to just drop the kid off. And not stay. I That's found right. that really interesting in different countries going, uh, are we supposed to be, you know, being part of the party? Or are we supposed to drop them off? Or... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's these tiny little nuances of life mm. that you don't know until you're suddenly in it. Mm. Um, hang on a minute. I want to talk to an adult for a while, please. I haven't seen an adult for uh, three weeks now. And then your yes. kids become older and you're not allowed anywhere near school. Yes. Oh, my God, Mum, you're so embarrassing. Mm. Or you're in a country where they have the door-to-door bus services, mm. which was yes. a lovely experience for me until I realised that, oh, hang on, how am I going to meet people? Yeah, yeah. So it does depend on where you are. Yeah. And somewhere but- like I call an expat hub, so places like Dubai or Singapore. You're going to find friends really yeah. easily. Yeah. But places like, for example, in America or in Germany, in my experience, not so easy to find friends. No. England, I've heard, is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, which I, I would go along with, but I'm not an expat. But yeah. Uh, no, I, I've experienced that too, that sometimes it's because. <laughs> yeah we're not friendly uh no no it's it, yeah it's because there isn't that expat or that obvious expat group isn't there it's interesting what you said earlier i think being warned uh and one of the things that a colleague coach and i um have started this year is the expat couple summit and she's a couples mediator and we are gathering experts to talk about the changes that happen when you move as a couple abroad to your couple, the opportunities, the challenges. But I think there's this awareness, knowing that I'm going to change when I move, you're going to change, depending on the culture of the country, it's going to change. And then who are you warning people? You know what? The company said that your partner will be gone one, one week a month. It might more. Or there might be changes in the contract. So just being aware that, yeah, you might have signed up for, you know, a few days a month, but it it might turn out to be different. And there might be long hours. And there's that loneliness to write of the accompanying spouse. And I was so happy to have my own passions, my own thing, if you were, <laughs> if you want. Uh, oh, otherwise, yeah. I would be sitting up here waiting, you know, and, and having my supper alone because... He's at a work meeting, you know, or a Sunday or something. So I thought important to have that and also to be pre-warned that there are going to be times when geographically or physically you will not be in the same space. Mm. And having some sort of a, a connection or a system, but you can't control. If your partner is going to go off and completely ignore you, you cannot control that. I think you can only work on what, on who you are as a person, right? You can only work on on finding your own network, working on yourself for, to, to feed in your relationship and trusting that the other person is 
engaged in this in this uh, relationship but when they get to a new place and it's all like they're pulled in all directions that can sometimes be hard to say hey there's us as well oh exactly but also I think that there is a definite space uh, that I'm gonna I'm gonna go there women do not say what they want I'm not like that but we need to set our own boundaries and we need to specify in simple language what we expect from them and what we don't expect from them. For example, I don't need to speak to my husband every single day. We went through a, I think, a very short time of doing that and I had to tell him no because he was expecting me to be ready at whatever hour of the day suited him, which might be when I'm in the middle of work. Yeah. So now we have a set day and set time for the phone call and we'll have a good old chit chat on the phone when it suits me and it, when it suits him. Yeah. I don't need to check in with him every day. I know that he'll contact me if there is anything that he wants. Usually at the end of the month, I have to sort out various bills and medications and stuff for him. Yeah. And when he's coming back, there are certain things that he wants me to sort out ready for his return. Yeah. I did feel a little bit like his PA yesterday. Mm. So I told him, I, you know, it's 10 o'clock at night. I am not doing anything else. I've sat down now. I need to chill. Yeah. Go away. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think, I think you're right. I find personally that men do that naturally. So they expect us to do that. Mm. And they're not being unkind. They're just, oh, well, why don't you say you couldn't do it? Yeah, well, because. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They, they aren't psychic. No, they are not psychic. Nobody is. Well, I am, but we can't expect our partners. And I will take men out of the equation here. Mm. We cannot expect our partners to know what we want unless we clearly tell them. Yes. If we want a relationship where they contact us every lunchtime without fail, then we need to say that. Mm. We don't go saying, well, you didn't contact me enough. I didn't know you wanted me to. Yes. That's so true. And if they can't do that, they're finding a compromise and saying, okay, well, it doesn't work for you every lunchtime. I need every lunchtime. Let's see how we can compromise and make it work for both of us. But that is so true. Having that communication, because if we don't, I've had to learn it. You know, if we don't say, this is what I need, this is what I'm, and this is what I'm doing for myself, not expecting our partners to be doing like everything that we need, I think. It's unfair to put it all on them. I think it, we need to find from other sources, maybe emotional support from not necessarily, I don't think, leaning too much the other way and completely ignoring them. I think there is something within the couple where it's important to lean on each other. But I think expecting them to be the answer to everything is... is oh, is, gosh, is, that is, is so and taking, Yeah, and taking things into our own hands and saying, okay, I'm in a new place. My partner's got a job to do. They're being pulled in every direction. I'm feeling extremely lonely right now. I've I've told them what I need. I'm also going to take steps and measures. And if it goes through a coach, right? Mm. I've done yeah. it myself. I've gone, I've reached out to coaches. I've reached out to therapists to just get you going in the right direction, empower you, help you figure out which what you want how to express it I think all of that is the power of the coaching and the therapy 
Yeah, and we're, we are grown-ups. We should be able to have grown-up conversations with our partners. Mm. And that is something I think is um, very much lacking in general. Mm. The other thing that uh, somebody did want me to bring up is the fact that due to all of their travelling, we cannot get a job overseas as well. Oh, my word. Right there. That is it. So there's not only the fact that we're expats and accompanying spouses, which makes it harder. The fact that the traveling just multiplied that. Mm. Right. Can you expand on that more? Sure. We've sacrificed our career to move overseas as a trailing spouse. And I know it's not fashionable to like that phrase. I don't care. It's easier for me to say than accompanying partner. I made it, but it's hard. So yeah, we've sacrificed something. Now, luckily, I have been self-employed since 1994. So I can, I've got a portable career. I make a portable career. Luckily, I had that. I did have to sell my business before I went to Tokyo for the first time, which was sad. I loved it. But the adventure was more exciting to me. So I knew that I was going to make a sacrifice. I knew that I wouldn't be able to get a job over there, but that was fine. I made up other work. I was freelance writing. I was doing tech support and various other things. But then so many other people aren't me. More more people aren't me. They have a job. They have a career. They left their career to support their partner's career. And that is not often acknowledged. There's a huge movement at the moment that the company that sends the working partner should also give the accompanying partner a job which the american embassies do a lot of the american diplomats their partners do have and so and the the same within the british embassy Mm -hmm. but they're generally couples that have met through the embassy that's 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 they know the game i am not that person and it happens mostly i've seen when the child reaches their early teens which is an absolutely crucial decision, in my opinion, to make. Moving around the world with teens is tricky, as I'm sure you've discovered. Yeah, yeah. But yours... Um, we have, we have, we're very fortunate. We're very fortunate because their schooling years fall exactly on the folds, on the yeah. where they would need to change system anyway. Yes, and the last move was that the 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 move before that. It's funny because when Olivier, when my husband went to Kabul, and we were talking about moving just before then, our oldest was crying. He was like, "No, I don't. I no, I don't want to move. I don't want to move." So we were looking at different options, and the and then Kabul came up, and for many different reasons, that's what we chose. But then that allowed him to stay where he was, our eldest son. But then two years later, same kid. Oh, it's fine. I'll move. You know, I'm fine to move. But but also because all his friends were going to move anyway. Yes. And he had come to a natural break in the schooling that then allowed us to move over here. And then thankfully, both of them are then going to move system next time we move. You know, if all goes to plan. Yeah. And that um, is really key. And there is a difference between boys and girls. Girls don't cope so well. And I can say that with a huge sweeping generalization. Okay. 
but boys, they just have to mention their favourite soccer team and their best friends forever if, yeah. they get it, if they get it right with girls. Yours, it's a little bit more drama. And... Exactly. Can I just say one more thing about the saying no to the move? Yes. In the UK, we have an education system that is incredibly uh, reliant on certain exams. They're the GCSEs and they are taken at the age of 15, 16. You have to be in the school system two years at least before you can take the exams. The schools will quite often actually reject you if you try and go in. So if you are moving with children or choosing to stay, it needs to be early teens, preferably before secondary school. And out of all of my friends and so many of my clients, that is the point where they are saying, no, I am not going to move around the world anymore. The kid needs some stability. The kid needs to get through these last few years of school before university. And then once university happens, there's a, again, another change. Yeah. Of course, not every child goes to university. Yeah. That's something we need to remember and not pressurize them into. Yeah. But, and that is the key point to, Mm. I think the change we've got as our accompanying partner selves, we have then got to a, a degree of comfortableness in the relationship. We've managed to keep them around for 13 years or more, and we haven't killed them. This is a really, really good benchmark so we know that we can cope yeah and we have a little more freedom for ourselves getting back into the workforce after being away for so long is hugely difficult and something I've been talking to somebody else about recently Mm. and that is often the point when the accompanying partner says nope I am just now going to be the uh, the partner I am not accompanying you anymore yeah yeah. And I think from everything that we've spoken about today, I think there can be a few encouragements for people and also a few warnings. Mm. The encouragement that it is possible that families do live like this. Um, the encouragement to um, to go for it. But also the warning that there can be loneliness, that we may need to reinforce that inner core with emotional support or help or strengthening it in some way that it is going to be called upon. Mm. And also the warning that, yeah, about about moving, but also the warning that, the the, the, I suppose it's a warning and an encouragement of saying, well, you can say no to a move. It is possible for your partner to keep traveling, but for you to say, no, you know what, right now the kids, and it's one of the top reasons why people choose this, um, oh, yes. yeah. is, is to say the kids need stability, I need stability, I would like to go back into the work- workforce, and it's okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this country and you can move from there. And I think if people can feel encouraged by that, also encouraged that if they feel lonely because their partner's gone, that's normal feeling there's nothing broken about them there's nothing it's not the fact that they can't cope it's something that a lot of us have lived through even when we consider ourselves I I consider myself independent I always Mm. say I always say like I'm a cat I I I like I like you know being around people but then I really like like my own 
like independence. But but I found it hard. I found it lonely. Um, now we're living the other side of the coin when, when he's much home, much more. And it's interesting to see the other perspective. Go, oh, wow, this this is interesting. <laughs> I have backup, um, like physical backup. Um, but yes, thank you so like much it. for sharing all of that. Thank you so much for My sharing pleasure. all of that. I, I let you finish your sentence that you just started. And then if you could share where people can contact you um, and anything else you want to add before we we bring it to a close. Awesome. awesome. Oh, gosh, I could talk about this for ages. It's been absolutely fantastic talking with you, Rhoda. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. And I think you need to you need to be you. And try and, I mean, social media has made it so much easier to have conversations online, but do talk to other humans once in a while. Otherwise, you can end up like me, where I have conversations with my animals, because I need to have a decent adult conversation. (laughs) But yes, you can be incredibly independent and you need to tell people what you need and what you want. Be a grown up about it. Don't expect them to understand without being absolutely clarifying everything that you need. And do think of what's best for the children, which I'm noticing a little bit uh, this year. But yeah, I'm everywhere on the internet. The main places I hang out, and you can find my name anywhere. Just Google me. It's quite a scary thought. Um, I have expatchild.com, which is my original website created in 2012, which has got about four or 500 articles about moving overseas and back home. There's also the Expatability Chat podcast, which is a little project and fairly fresh and new, where you can just listen to me in your ears whenever you need. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn is my favorite place right now. Um, I have Twitter accounts, but I don't use them. I have Instagram. I'm basically everywhere. Mm-hmm. So people can just it. send you a message just, on LinkedIn. Like that's, me. that's how I did it, right? Yeah. And send me a message on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. That's that's a good way to contact yeah. me. Or Fantastic. if you're good at remembering email addresses, just hello at expatchild.com. Brilliant. And I'll put it in the show notes too. You're a star. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much, Carol.